0: Welcome to Oslo International Church's podcast, where we share weekly reflections from our community of faith. If you'd like to explore more of our resources or join us for a service, visit our website at oslointernational.church. And now, here's the message from our last Sunday service with Pastor Mike on Storenagel. We, we do this every year, don't we? Every year. If you've been in OIC long enough, you kind of know the deal already. As soon as we announce, oh, Advent celebration, 3rd of December, or what may be on that particular year. right? First or second Sunday of Advent is our big Advent celebration. And because so many of us often travel on Christmas holidays, either to our hometowns in Norway or abroad, right? Uh, This is sort of our big Christmas celebration as this sort of big, weird OIC family that we are. This is when we get together uh, in the Advent season and celebrate. So we gather here, we do Christmas workshops, candles, Christmas cards and Christmas cookies. You know that's coming. And then we share a meal and we move uh, to our Advent celebration service. And there's three things that we know will happen on this service. We will sing Christmas Advent songs. Uh, The kids, or I guess something changed. Now it's the kids and the youth, right? But they're going to share something with us that they have been preparing. And I will preach from the same story. Every single year. But maybe you're new to OIC. Maybe you haven't been to any of our Advent celebrations, and you haven't celebrated Advent or Christmas with us before. But still, I think there's good chances that a lot of things about today would feel and sound very familiar. At least if you grew in or maybe sort of orbiting some sort of Christian community of faith, well, you haven't sung the songs maybe with us, but you have sung or heard them before. Oh, come, let us adore him. Hark, the herald's angels sing. The smells, the colors, sort of the whole vibe of the event, you know what it's all about because even if you haven't done it with us, you've done it before, you've seen it before, you heard it before, you've been a part of it before. And you know the story in some form or another. You know it's Christmas. Because we do it every single year. And today, we do it one more time again. One more time again. And maybe the sense of repetition might be even clearer or stronger, I don't know, for us this year. Because the past year in in, in OIC, we have been focusing on the rhythms of the Christian uh, church and the rhythms of what is called the liturgical calendar. So the the calendar of the church that is used by many churches throughout the world and has been used for for centuries. And it's a cyclical calendar, which means that it repeats itself every year again and again and again. Advent, Christmas, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, Advent, every year. We just finished it last Sunday. Last Sunday was the last Sunday of the year in the liturgical calendar. And what do we do today? We start it again. We start it again. But if there is one thing that we hopefully have learned from our sort of extra attentiveness to the cycles of the Christian tradition this past year, is that a cycle doesn't need to mean blind, mindless repetition. It can mean rediscovery. It can mean deepening. It can mean new discoveries, it can mean renewal. Telling the story one more time and one more time again can also be an expression of even necessity, an expression of hope, of insistence on not only the historical relevance of the story, but the lived presence of the story today for us and as i as i sort of closed the liturgical calendar last uh, sunday i quoted maya angelo uh, as i close it off and as she said have courage to trust love one more time and always one more time have courage to trust love one more time and always one more time And I repeat the the quote today as we start a new year and tell the same story one more time and always one more time. Because the reason we tell the story one more time and always one more time again is because we believe the story speaks of love incarnate, love present, one more time and always one more time again. One more time in this time in this place, to us. And this exercise, telling the story again and again, it it is actually as old as the story itself. And as old as the sources from which we learn the stories that we now repeat. You see, the biblical witness itself It has the story of the coming of Christ, the story of Advent, the story of Christmas, it has it told again and again. And each time it is told, it is somehow new and yet the same. So this Advent season, it will be a short Advent season for us. It will be three Sundays, as as you saw, uh, for just us, and then we join Hasle, Uh, But we want to repeat an exercise we did a few years ago back in 2020, still in the midst of the pandemic. I talked about the same sermon, and I spoke to an empty church, Uh, just large with a video camera. (laughs) Uh, Today you're here, right? And I want to revisit that exercise that we did and explore in this Advent season how the different gospel writers tell this same story, but they tell it in different ways. And essentially, they do that because they are insisting that this is the story of God revealing the God self always anew to the people who dare and will listen. The people each gospel writer was writing to and had in mind and heart and horizon when they were writing and telling the story. And the people that pick up their writings and again dare to believe and again dare to tell the same story again, and always one more time again. And as we embark on this exploration of the different ways in which the gospel writers tell the story again, I actually wanted to start with the gospel that tells not only one story again, but actually tells two stories again in one. And this gospel writer gives us what is not our traditional Christmas storytelling, And it also isn't our traditional creation narrative. But St. John with his way of grabbing things from different angles, he is telling both stories again. And I read with you from the gospel according to St. John, chapter one from verse one to 18. Today I read from the new international version and this is how it's rendered. In the beginning, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. So says the Scriptures. When St. John will introduce Christ into the world. Tell the story of the coming. When Saint John will tell the story of Christmas, he does a quite radical time displacement. And it's much more than what you get. I mean, there's scholarly discussions about when exactly Jesus was born. He was probably not born on year zero. So it was minus four, like four before Christ, which is really weird to think, but the year zero is sort of a convention, when exactly was his, what he was born. But that's not what John is doing. John isn't talking about a few years before or after the convention of year zero, which, of course, wouldn't make any sense for him anyway. John takes the story to an altogether different time in history. In fact, John brings the story even before what we would call history. In the beginning was the Word. By beginning his account with these words, in the beginning, John is immediately transporting us back to the account of creation in the very first chapter of the Bible, to the poetry of Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, in the beginning God created The connections between the beginning of the gospel, according to St. John, and the beginning of the book of Genesis, they're just all too many, culturally, linguistically, stylistically. They're just too many and too explicit to be confused for anything else than intentional. In the creation account of Genesis, we have God creating in the beginning. God creates from a void of darkness, and the first thing that God does is to speak And to speak light into the world. God then goes on in creating until finally God creates humankind in all their maleness and femaleness in God's own image and likeness. And the way God creates is God speaks, God speaks into being. God expresses from God's own being in such a way that words form and this beingness of everything else comes into existence. As God reveals himself, creation is revealed into existence and takes shape. In the beginning was the word, John says, as he starts the gospel account of Jesus. The word that is the revelation and expression of the God self. The word that spoke everything into being. That word is now wonderfully made flesh and makes their dwelling among us. Whereas Eugene Peterson translates it in the message God moved into the neighborhood, the word moved into the neighborhood. And John, the gospel writer, he has these interjections concerning John the Baptist to make sure that we know that the gospel writer is indeed talking about Jesus and not just about creation. So he's merging Jesus as the word with the Father in the beginning, an inherent part of the creation expression. Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus as light came first in creation and allowed everything else, not only to be created, but to be seen, to be perceived. Light in the darkness. Jesus, the life through whom we may be children of God. Jesus, the same breath that gave life to humankind, created in the image of God. With his introduction to the good news of Jesus Christ, because that's what John is going on about. This is the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of his telling of Jesus Christ. And as with this introduction, he invites us to understand redemption and creation as parts of a whole. And he isn't talking about like historical parts as if one thing came first and and the other thing came later. One is the first half, the other is the second half. No, he, he means they are intrinsically connected and woven into each other like lines on a Celtic knot that fold over each other so that they are perceived as multiple, but they never cease to be one. And you get lost in it. And John, in fact, doesn't just do this in his introduction. He continues throughout the gospel to weave creation and redemption into each other in his account of the life, the sayings, the relevance, the doing of Jesus. And he's constantly playing with the notion of renewal, restoration. As John moves on in the story in these first chapters of the gospel, he has Jesus' first miracle be the one in which he transforms water into wine. His first meeting with the temple in Jerusalem is Jesus clearing it up of its idolatrous clutter, restoring the calling of the courts, and simultaneously creating space for something new. The flooding of the whole world into the presence of God. He then talks with Nicodemus about being born again. Nicodemus is confused, and he talks to a Samaritan woman by a well about the flowing waters of life that could flow in her. He heals a cripple by a pool. He feeds a hungry multitude with a few loaves of bread. He walks on water. He talks of himself as the bread of life. In the Gospel of John, as Jesus walks the roads, the cities, and the countrysides, there is a a sense of the presence of the one who is Lord over creation. Walks on water, multiplies bread, heals the sick. Yet there is also a sense of newness, of new possibilities. There is a sense of the profound dignity and mark of God in the created order that goes alongside a transformative power of what we call redemption. Creation and redemption, restoration and renewal, they happen by the same breath of power and will of a God, of a God who wishes to reveal God's self and whose revelation carries in both creation and redemption the mark of grace. The mark of grace. All of this is weaved into the poetry of John's Christmas. And as we listen to this profound and mystical poetry of the Gospel of John, we contemplate this double action of creation and redemption, renewal in telling the story of the coming of Christ. But of course, John doesn't want just us to listen. We are called not only to contemplate and meditate on this profound mystery, we are called also to live in it. So I want to suggest three implications from this reading of Christmas that places Christ both in the manger and before the dawn of time. And we won't have the time to go deep into these, so I will leave it to you to further contemplate and, and how, it, how they bear on your lives and But here it goes. The first implication of this temporal displacement of John's Christmas is that it tells us that Jesus is not an afterthought. By putting Jesus in creation, John is telling us Jesus is not an afterthought. In fact, grace and redemption are not an afterthought. Jesus is not something... God came up with when things went wrong in creation. And then God went, whoops, how do I fix this? Grace is not something that God came up with because we were too flimsy to survive without. John places Jesus and grace before the beginning of time. And so he reveals that Christ himself and grace and love as revealed in Christ, they are part of the very essence of who God is. The very nature of God from the beginning and beyond the end. And this surely gives us all sorts of theological and philosophical questions to deal with. But it also tells us something quite wonderful about God. It tells us that God is love. (laughs) That's simple and that difficult, right? It tells us that God's grace is not some kind of sparingly used tool for special occasions, but is the deepest expression of God's goodness and of God's Godness. And that, I think, is good news. It's good news. That's the first implication. The second implication is that creation and revelation are deeply connected. The Word was in the beginning. Creation happens as God speaks. And so also the gospel revelation, right? The good news of Christ isn't simply revealing something, but creating something new in its revelation. So the gospel is both redemption in us and a creation in us. And the metaphors in scriptures for this, there are many, right? We we mentioned Nicodemus. We are born again, Jesus tells him. We are a new creation is the language that Paul uses to speak of this. And Jesus is the name who speaks this double act into our beings, creation and redemption. And this leads me to my third point, the third implication, which is when I finally get practical. All of this means that we can be both restored and become a new creation. That we can be both restored and become a new creation. And this means that as followers of Jesus and witnesses to the creating and redeeming word of God, we can act for both restoration and renewal. This means that we can hope for the renewal of heavens and earth at the same time as we work tirelessly for the good and the restoration of the earth as our feet step on it right now. Not just in some distant future, but now. This means that we can call Jesus the bread of life and also share bread together and also give bread to the hungry. This means that we can declare that only the justice of God is enough, and yet fight for justice, fight for more just systems. This means that caring for creation, right? Caring about climate change, and about cleaning the oceans, and about protecting wildlife from humankind's greed is perfectly coherent with crying that Jesus may come and restore all things and make all things new. Creator and Redeemer from beginning to end and now. This means that to say that the gospel is for all people, isn't that what the angel sang in the gospel of Luke? And I bring ye good tidings, as King James would put it, that will be for all the people. It means that to say that the gospel is for all people and yet not treat all people as equally worthy, equally wonderfully and fearfully made is hypocrisy and is not in keeping with the good news of Jesus Christ. It means that the gospel is hope for our eyes, that dare to envision a future for our souls that thirst for it, but that the gospel is also strength for our hands and strength, for our hearts, as we do and as we love, and as we act and as we move. It means that Christmas is a call for a living service in the power of the Christ who was, who is, and is to come. And that... That is good news. That is good news for us. It is good news for the world. That is gospel. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you that you may know that he is gracious towards you. May the Lord turn his face towards each and every one of you, young and old, and may he bring you peace. So go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and let us serve each other, let us serve the world, and so let us serve the Lord and let us do it joyfully. Amen. Do you want to stay connected with us? Check out our website at oslointernational.church to discover more about our community, access additional resources, and join us in our faith journey. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.